Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna from the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, UNESCO City of Literature. This episode is all about writing suspense in fiction. It's timely because this month we're excited to launch a number of new self-paced and online tutored courses as part of NCW Academy, including a self-paced course from Claire McGowan on exactly this topic. In her own words, Claire McGowan is all about romance and murders, ideally at the same time. She's a crime and literary fiction writer who published her first novel, The Fool, in 2012. She's followed it up with several bestsellers, radio plays and screenplays. Claire also ran the UK's first MA in crime writing for five years and regularly teaches and talks about writing, which made her the perfect fit for designing our course on how to write suspense fiction. Our Chief Executive Chris Gribble caught up with Claire a few weeks ago to discuss how she got started as a writer, her roots into publishing, and how she's maintained and developed a career in writing across a range of genres and over a lengthy period of time. Claire talks about how her teaching work has developed across her writing career, and how her new course for NCW distills a lot of what she's learned about the many different ways and means of creating suspense in your writing, from character to landscape to plot to style. So strap in for a brilliant conversation between Claire and Chris and make sure to head over to the NCW website, nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to sign up for Claire's course afterwards. Welcome, Claire. How are you today? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. Just getting over a little cold, as you can probably hear in my voice, but otherwise well, I think it's that season for it, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm just really delighted to welcome Claire McGowan, kind of uh, writer, teacher, kind of crime world aficionado in general sort of um, person who's been around this part of the trade for a long time. It's a real pleasure to welcome you to The Writing Life. Thank you. I'm going to start. We're going to kind of cover quite a bit of ground today. One of the main things we're talking about, of course, is the course that you are writing for NCW, How to Create Suspense in Fiction, which is going to be uh, uh, one of our evergreen courses that people can download and do at their own time. And we'll we'll come back to that shortly. But I, I wanted to start off with um, you as a, as a reader and a writer. You've been publishing since 2012 when The Fall came out and your latest mm-hmm. novel, Are You Awake, was only just out earlier this year. So, that, you know, that's, that's kind of more than a decade in the industry now. And I'm going to come on to ask you a little bit about your experience in, in the industry. But I'm really fascinated to find out a little bit about your 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 kind of journey is from a writer to a reader. What sort of reader were you as a young person and what really turned you on both to reading and to crime as well? Uh, I was a, a, just a huge reader, sort of reading like breathing. Um, and I suppose I was in that generation where we just, just before we had the internet, um, we got the internet when I was probably 17. Um, we lived in the countryside in rural Ireland, so... Didn't, there wasn't really a lot to do. There was a sort of period of about five years where we, we didn't even have a cinema in the town. It closed down. So it was kind of really was make your own entertainment a lot. It was you know playing outside and just reading everything I could get. But at the time, it was kind of 80s, 90s in Northern Ireland. And I don't think the libraries had enough funding, really. So it was a bit of a shortage of new books. So I just read everything. And mm. they had to let me read the adult books when I was <laughs> nine or 10, which wasn't allowed. So I think I got a special dispensation to dive into it and I was quite shocked when I first came to England and saw the libraries here had new books that was like astonishing so it's yeah, such a common 
such a common thing to hear from writers that they had to get adult tickets from the library when they were young because they just wanted access. What, so what, what, what was it that you really wanted to access to and what did you relish? Uh, it was more that I just read everything in the children's and teen section. So, um, and I was quite a keen rereader, as I suppose you have to be if you're a bit short on books. And there was no bookshop in our town either at the time. So, uh, and also books were expensive. It was the days before e-readers. So... It was a very limited supply, really. And it's, it's strange now that I get sent so many books and books are so cheap to buy that I'm kind of always flooded with reading material now, which was certainly not the case back then. No. Uh, are there, have any of those early books and influences really stayed with you in your reading and writing life from those days? Um, I, was, I was in a bit of a strange situation where my parents were quite strict. Well, my mother was quite strict. Uh, about what I was allowed to watch on TV or film. So she thought that the the rating of the film was you should actually stick to that. So if it was a 15, you shouldn't watch it till you were 15. Nobody else thought everyone else was allowed to. So, but she didn't mind what I read. So I was, I kind of read that I was reading Stephen King when I was at primary school. And I was a very sheltered child. I was uh, brought up in a Catholic background. Uh, so Stephen King was quite eye-opening, some of it. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Uh, and I was a big Agatha Christie reader as well, so I'd, I'd read sort of most of those by the time I was ten as well. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's a, it's a really interesting one. I, again, I wasn't allowed to watch certain things on TV, but I don't think my parents ever checked what books I came back from the library with, and I can't think what a major oversight I could have been bringing anything. Back oh yeah, no, point. like we were actually told at school we were given a list of books that we should read. Um, I think when I was twelve, and I was quite dutiful, so I marched off and got them from the library and one of them was flowers in the attic which i don't know if you know this book but it's oh yes incredibly unsuitable book it's got incest it's got child murder um it's very it's very raunchy (laughs) Uh, i read that when i was 12 and i I loved it it was amazing but i was you know i passed it all around my school friends and i was like this book and i can only presume that our english teacher didn't know what the book was about because i can't imagine that he would have recommended it to convent school girls yeah, well, I, I think you're, you're younger than I am, but I really remember Flowers in the Attic. Was it Virginia Andrews? Yeah, Virginia Andrews. Yeah, yeah. I, I still remember it really well. And kind of earlier than that, I think the book that got passed around at my middle school was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, yeah. I read that one too, group. but that is much less disturbing than that. Uh, it is. I was just suddenly thinking yeah. about that last week because I know there's a film being made of it as well. What is yeah. it, do you think, about Christie and Stephen King that really imprint themselves on young people, young readers? In particular um maybe with Agatha Christie it's that they're they're quite quick to read um sort of just fun puzzles and just, I find them like a really ultimate comfort read for me so I do actually reread them quite a bit even though because I find that I forget quite easily what happened so um it's something that I can go back to every few years yeah. it's an interesting one isn't it it's kind of it's the, the plot is Lots of people say plot is everything with Agatha Christie but if you're rereading them I'd be it's obviously says something it's also about the how it's done as well as the what happens that she can still bring people back I think they're quite glamorous as well you know it's this sort of glamorous golden age world that she captures where everyone's quite well off and driving around in their motor cars and going to country houses and having nice lunches I love the fact that there were there are loads of not very nice people at the heart of Agatha Christie's novels and she gives them quite a lot of time and space mm-hmm but she, they're also quite romantic. Like quite a few of the books have romances in them. So, like Poirot, yeah. for example, is quite keen to see people married off. 
he's, yeah. he's a bit of a matchmaker, which I think people forget about sometimes. No, I think that's that's a really good <laughs> a good point to make, and it's part of his desire to control absolutely everything. Perhaps so. When you when did you sort of when did you start to think right? I can I, I want to write this and these books and not just read them. Uh, very early on, so I was probably eight or nine, I would say, and I definitely started writing my first book when I was nine. I remember because it was called Nine and Three Quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad title, I suppose. But, no, um, no. Does any of it exist anywhere still? I don't think so, sadly. I have some, um, I just, yeah, I have bits, but I got rid of quite a lot of it, which I really wish I hadn't done because I had loads of notebooks, just years and years and years worth. And um, I even had a few things I'd typed up if we ever sort of borrowed a typewriter or a computer in the house. Um, I had some stuff on floppy disks as well from my teens. I don't have any more, which was kind of a shame because I bet it's actually not that bad sometimes when I look back at stuff I wrote when I was younger I'm like actually this isn't bad this is I could have made this into a book so some of the ideas I had in my teens like really are are not bad like they would have been you know if I'd been able to finish the book it would have Mm. been perfectly fine is there anything that you kind of are there any things in that early writing that you can remember that you've seen that that are still recognizably you today as a writer I think I was very influenced by whatever I was reading at the time. So, um, and I also wasn't, I didn't really understand in the way that I do now what it takes to finish a book. So I would just sort of write bits and then I would give up because I wouldn't quite know. But I had this one idea I was writing, which was um, about a girl who, an orphan who's sent to live with her cousins in Cornwall. And it's all about the Second World War and the families, like the, them being intertwined, her cousins and the kids that live next door. And, actually like that would be publishable if I you know if it had been good and if I'd been able to write it as an idea that's perfectly good so kind of wish in some ways I'd (laughs) known how to finish things well that's quite a kind of a big ambitious setup for a for a novel yeah for someone young (laughs) I was I think 15 when I was writing that so okay interesting and when when did you first finish a book when did you actually break that it was a long time and I I didn't know how to so I would write and even sometimes I would write like quite a bit of a book like maybe I I always write by hand at this point but it must have been like 20,000 sometimes um and then I would just sort of not know how to finish it so I would stop but uh, I was in my 20s I think I was 27 or 28 and I was working in an office job and found that I had quite a lot of time in this office job because I discovered that some people who work in that kind of job don't don't work all day long. <laughs> it's just, people kill a lot of time. And I was very sort of young and eager. So I was always like, I finished everything. Is there more work to do? Um, and I kind of got the impression eventually that people didn't really want me to do work flat out. Then it would make them look bad. <laughs> so I just eventually I was like, well, you know what? I'll just write my novel, switch between the windows. Um, and I, so I managed to finish something. But it took me years, it was like three years of deleting and writing and just the biggest problem I had at this point was I didn't know what to leave out of the book mm-hmm. and I would sort of write these scenes and I'd be like I have no idea whether this scene should be in or should be out you know, this storyline this kind of subplot whatever so I had no sense of like the shape of the book I suppose so. but finishing it was really helpful and it really really helped me to be able to have, uh, finish and sell my next mm-hmm. one 
So. And what was your sort of relationship to the publishing world at that point? How did, were you consciously working your way towards it? Did you have contacts? Had you thought about it? No, all? I was absolutely clueless. I uh, didn't know what I was doing. And I don't know why, for some reason, I was really resistant to ever doing any writing courses. Mm. Um, not because I didn't think I needed them. It was just, just like I almost thought, I almost had like massive imposter syndrome. And it was like, well, that's not, that's not for the likes of me. But I would do lots of other evening classes. Um, and I lots of different hobbies and things but I just never let myself do a writing class um and I never really told anyone that I wanted to write it was like quite sort of secretive and shameful so just sort of beavered away by myself and um there was one point where I did actually start going to events and I took a submissions course I think it was the writers and artists yearbook we're running this course on how to write um synopses and cover letters and things and so I took that and that was the first I ever really learned about it but yeah completely clueless and also this was again sounds crazy to say it now but this is only like 11 12 years ago but you still had to submit in print at that point so yeah. most people wouldn't take email submissions um so I was having to like photocopy my you know gigantic 110,000 word manuscript so I'm sure you'll sit in the office <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a remarkable how quickly things have changed can I ask what were you doing professionally at this point what 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 had been your professional plans up to then uh, I was just a bit lost really I was sort of handing around different ideas and I worked in the charity sector for a few years um you know trying to sort of help I had this idea I'd sort of help people and yeah ended up just sort of doing various jobs in communications and projects and but always writing on the side and like mm. desperately, desperately wanting to be a writer, but not really thinking it was possible. Yeah, I kind of wonder how many amazing novels we'd have lost if we didn't have admin jobs, though, where people could kind of write around the edges and use the time to to really sort of be creative. Well, that's true. Yeah, I definitely didn't take that much out of me, so I, I was able to. Yeah, I had quite a lot of capacity still. So, and I then and my, I moved out of London for a while, so I had this really long commute, which was also very helpful. Because um, again, slightly before smartphones, so I didn't I had a phone, but I never looked at it on the journey. I just used it for a sort of text things. I don't think I even ever looked at my email on that phone. So, um, this sounds like a million years ago, but this is only <laughs> this is like twenty, like two thousand and nine, ten. I'm talking about. You know, yeah. Been, yeah. So. It is kind of remarkable, the absolute transformation that the smartphones had on our mm -hmm. world. It's just I'm not terrifying. sure nowadays I would have the concentration to sit and use that hour each way so productively. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned in the course that you've kind of written for us that people's and readers' attention spans have sort of reduced to sort of that 15-minute magic kind of mm -hmm. point and that's sort of how long you've got to hook people in so can, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about kind of that 15 minute point in a novel or what you how you sort of approach your own work and think I've got this certain amount of time to get my reader I think it's everything I don't think it's just books either like I think it's sort of tv and film now as well as like we're yeah and maybe it goes back to what I was saying earlier about there just being so much content available which was just not the case when I was a kid um and even like 10, even this period I'm talking about, sort of 10, 12 years ago, uh, you didn't have streaming. Like you, we got Netflix in the post. <laughs> it's like, it was, you got the DVDs sent to you. Yeah. And that wasn't even that long ago. No, so no. it was, you just didn't have this like massive proliferation of, um, of content, you know, like, so you had to, nowadays it's just, we can get everything. So you really have to earn your keep, I think. So you haven't really got someone within the first couple of pages. Like I'm perfectly happy to give up on a book. 
nowadays and I often do um I probably never would have done that as a child and same with films and yeah. tv I'll just if it's not if it's not got me I'll just watch something else so I've heard it described as kind of like the attention economy. You've got that sort of certain period of time to yeah. grab people and pull them in. What is it about kind of the crime and the suspense or the thriller genre that kind of really attracted you in, in terms of your own writing? I don't think I knew I was writing a crime novel. Um, that's how I was pretty clueless. Like I said, I didn't know what genre I was writing. I think I just thought crime was like Agatha Christie. I didn't really mm. get that it was sort of thrillers and um I've always read quite widely, so I didn't just read Iron Thrillers myself. Um, and I'd written this book, The Fall, which was, it was about a murder, but it was more sort of a, a take on like what happens after a murder and different people's lives colliding. So I didn't think it was crime. Yeah. Um, and then, and I'm sure, some, I suppose it is crime-ish, but if I'd, if I'd been writing it as crime, I would have done it differently. Um, but then when it got published, it was sort of, I published as crime, which I was quite surprised by. Um, and then I realized that I, yeah, I quite liked the genre. So I started writing something much more procedurally. Mm -hmm. I wrote a whole series. Um, and then now I'm doing kind of standalone like thrillers. So where each one needs to have its own hook and always trying to think as other thriller writers are like, what is the, what is the hook for the next one? What's going to get people to pick up mm -hmm. this thriller over the many, many other thrillers that are available. Uh, a lot of the kind of people who regularly listen to our podcast are kind of in the early stages of their writing career. And that covers a huge ground, of course. But um, one of the sets of questions that we always get asked to reflect on or um, kind of how you actually made that breakthrough. Could you tell us a little bit about that, your particular sort of experience of going from, right, I finished this novel and I'm not exactly certain what it is, to the point where oh, I've been published as a crime novelist. Yeah, so I think I did have a fairly easy experience, I suppose. But I do think we're very fortunate in fiction that there is a pathway in. Like I've been trying to break into screenwriting for about six years now and I've had some some success, I've sold some scripts, but there is there just isn't that pathway and like where you sort of you write something, you sell it, that's it. You've kind of arrived. So we're, we're kind of, I know it's not easy, but it is straightforward at least. So for me, it was, um, I'd, I'd finished the fall. So I had these two books that I'd finished. I had the first one that I'd spent years on and the second one that I spent three months on uh, <laughs> and I just finished it. And then a friend of mine sent me this link to a writing competition. And uh, it's one of those moments, I suppose, like I really just, like it was closing the same day and I just kind of thought, which one will I send? This one, this one, this one. Okay, I'll send the new one. Why not? What the hell? Um, and then I got uh, shortlisted and that, um, like it was the, Big, it was part of the Dylan Thomas Prize, mm -hmm. um, but they only ran it one year, I think, it was for unpublished writers, and it was in the bookseller. So I started getting people contacting me. And before that, I had I had sent my other book out to a couple of agents, maybe three or four, because um, I also didn't know that it was okay to send it to multiple agents at once. So I was just sending it and waiting. Mm -hmm. And then you know somebody had it for six months at one point. So it was just like a lot of time had gone by. So that's why I wrote the second book, because I was like, well, I have to do something to fill this time so that the competition kind of helped me get a bit of a leg up and that I got an agent out of that and then sold the book really quickly not after not long after that so it seemed easy but of course there's a lot that there's a lot to navigate after you get published as well and so, you know, I've been doing it for long enough now to have a lot of thoughts on how you sustain a writing career as well 
We'll definitely come on to that as well. Mm. What what kind of, if you could think of two or three things that you wish you'd known then, or that you wish you'd either enjoyed more or you'd been warned about for that early experience, what might they be? God, so many things. Um, I guess I wish I'd known it was crime. and Maybe I, then I would have written it a bit differently. Um, and it was a good deal. I don't, I don't think I could have got a better deal really for it at that point. So that, that was all good. Um, yeah, I wish I'd, I'd known a bit more about like what happens next that you have mm. to, if you have a two book deal, what that means and how the second book may be a lot harder because you maybe quite know what you did to produce the first book. Uh, it's a really difficult time for a lot of authors, I think. Mm. Not sure that set two book or multiple book deals are even necessarily a good idea, controversially. Um, yeah, just lo- I wish I'd known about, um, running your writing as a business, just thinking things about like, I, no concept of how much time I would spend thinking and talking about tax as a freelancer. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, loads of practical stuff. Like I really wish I'd um, taken better care of my body while writing. Cause I ended up with like really chronic neck problems from not having a proper desk for years, a proper seat for years. So just to take it more professionally, I suppose, instead of kind of stumbling into it. Um, and yeah. I did quit my job when I got the deal, um, which most people will say not to do, but, for me, that was the right decision, I think. But yeah, it's certainly when you become a full-time freelancer, it's like setting up a business. So you might have some cash flow issues for the first couple of years. Now, these really sort of sets of really practical sort of pieces of knowledge that you kind of only gain by experience, but uh, the not things that you can go back and rectify in the case of, kind of not no. having a proper place I to always give, like When people ask for advice, I always give them really boring advice, like things like um, packing up work and, yeah, keeping your receipts and registering for PLR and getting a proper desk and the dull stuff. But it all like I know everyone with horror stories about all of those things. So yeah, it's all that cumulative stuff, isn't it? The things that you can't go back and and sort of mm-hmm. change after the event. So kind of how you you're sort of gosh, 11, 12 years into a writing career now, and obviously you were writing before that period of publishing as well. And are you what what keeps you going in terms of the genre that you work in and the, the kind of the writing that you're producing now? Um, I think with writing thrillers, it's uh, always trying to top the last one. And there are so mm. many brilliant thriller writers that I know and I'm friends with, and everyone's trying to find the next, you know, the next big idea, the next big twist. So I really enjoy the sort of like help, healthy competition of that, I suppose. Um, and then I also write lots of different things. So I've always mm. I, started, I think my first couple of years, I was always writing something on the side. I just really thrive having a sort of special secret project that I'm not under contract for. So um, I've nearly always done that every year as well. Um, I've written some women's fiction. Um, I've got a literary novel coming out in June. My first, I've actually been writing that since 2011. So, wow. Um, finally publishing it. I've done some nonfiction and done some radio work and TV work and just always like trying different new things. So, what do you think that. is the difference between having kind of a writing project that's not under contract, kind of apart from it, it's like sort of the job that you don't have to do? For me, it's um, it's where real creativity happens. There's something when I say what I'm going to write. There's something where it's for me not quite as thrilling, even though it's great, obviously, to know your book's going to be published and great to get 
the collaboration with your editor to shape something. But there is for me something really enjoyable about just having a sort of secret project that I don't know where it's going. Um, and I have no idea like where, whether I'm even going to sell it or sometimes I haven't sold it. Um, usually I can, but sometimes not. Um, and I often won't even talk about it really. I just sort of I think my agent's really good because she just has learned to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> you're writing this now. <laughs> All right, we'll see. But um yeah, and then I kind of come and be like, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> and have you had the same agent over all of that period? No, I've had a couple of different agents. Um, I always say to people as well, like, if you find your career is getting into a bit of a corner, it is worth. Unfortunately, like the industry shouldn't be like this, but unfortunately for authors who've kind of hit a slump, the only way to revive that seems to be to change publishers and mm-hmm. maybe also to change agents, which also isn't great. Um, you know, it shouldn't really be like that, but. It is, unfortunately, and people are not being given the space to build their careers at publishers anymore in the way they used to. So uh, you'll find a lot of people moving around a lot and reinventing themselves, and maybe even having different names, writing different genres and so on. Yeah, it seems like, you know, I'm I sort of I'm not in the hardcore publishing world myself, but I'm attached to it via lots of work that we do with writers and festivals and events. And it seems like there's a lot of change at the minute in, in the major publishing houses Mm. in the uk and there's lots of movement and Uh, do you know there always has been so i'm a bit like i i was away about two weeks ago with some writers and anytime you get writers together everyone's got everyone sort of complains a bit about like this (laughs) happened and i certainly had a lot of years where i would complain as well but i've tried to be a bit more zen about it these days because i've just you know even in 12 years i've seen a lot of change in the industry already and a lot of kind of supposed threats um, that were just seen off and people do still buy books and I think last year was one of the biggest ever sales years mm-hmm. um, that people read a lot more during the pandemic um, there are a lot of people that don't read which always makes me really sad when someone says um, I, I don't really read it's like a knife in the heart but um, it's, it's a sort of muddles on I think so I try not to be too disheartened um, and I guess I try and focus on what I said earlier is like you have to we do have to earn our keep maybe a bit more now and now that there's so much content available it just has to be really hooky mm. and good so. well you mentioned that you kind of you and you have you've had kind of work on radio you've uh, writing script and for screen as you said and got um non-fiction also uh and, and you also worked at crime writers association and at city university as well tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about those roles and what attracted you to them uh, the Crime Writers Association was just a sort of, that was really kind of admin job for me. Um, um, kind of, it was like a membership organization. Um, and that was, I just got to know lots of different writers that way, which was great. And then I managed to get a teaching post at City. They were setting up a, they were trying to set up a crime writing MA, mm-hmm. um, which was at the time was, was quite ground, groundbreaking. A few other people are doing it now. Um, and yeah, it was great. I just got the chance to work with such amazing students and it was a two year course, which at the time no one else was doing. I don't think so. People could finish their book. They weren't kind of sent out with, um, 20,000 words and then never finishing it. And then we helped them at the end, get agents and, and so on. So it was really great. My, my first class, I think I had 12 students and I think like five or six of them are published now. So, um, and from other years, lots of other people published. So it was actually, it was a very successful course in terms of getting people into the industry and, and published. So it was a bit, um, we were a bit outside the whole academic world. And what I've noticed now, which I think is a shame, is that a lot of teaching posts at universities are asking for PhDs. 
mm-hmm. um, which I think is to, probably to do with funding um, and the way it's allocated. But I just think that's such a shame because often career academics um, don't necessarily know that much about commercial publishing. People haven't necessarily been published themselves in that sense. Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't really take into account teaching skill. So I think it's like a bit of a shame for students. And particularly if you don't care about having an academic career, you just want to publish a book. Um, it's not necessarily giving the right skills. Yeah, it feels like there's a bit of an awkward kind of butting up between the academic world and the creative writing publishing world that yeah. don't quite understand each other somehow. Yeah, like I was on staff for a while and even though I published like, I don't know how many it was at that point, but quite a lot of books, like more than 10, 10 or 12 probably. Um, they couldn't use any of my work as part of their research submission. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a bit so I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid for any research time, despite like, writing loads yeah. regularly. So crazy. Well, from one teaching kind of role, the, the course how to create suspense and fiction that you've created for us is definitely mm-hmm. not going to take anyone two years. That's on, <laughs> on, the, on the the plus side. You don't anyone who kind of logs in to take part in it doesn't have to commit two years. But can you tell us a little bit about the course and and what you wanted to achieve with it? Yeah. So I've I've for, for some reason I've come to this topic of suspense. It's become my sort of most go to one for teaching and. Um, I spent quite a lot of time thinking about it. Um, so, yeah, it was really great to be able to do a course where we broke that down quite a lot into modules and uh, looked at a lot of examples of how it works in fiction and um, also did some exercises and things like that. So, yeah, just looking at, like, what is what do we mean by suspense and what are some really concrete ways that you can put it into your book? And that's that goes for me from the macro to, like, what is your actual idea? Is there any yeah. way you can track that up? right the way down to the words on the page, the sentences, voice of language. So it's quite a sort of um, mac- macro to micro overview of how to add suspense. Yeah, no, I, I think that I'm I'm not a, a writer. Um, I'm a mad, crazy reader. So I've, I've been kind of reading your course and also reading some of the material that you cover in it as well, which I'll come back to. But I love the, how the fact that you kind of cover you know, you start with some of those big questions like the concept uh, behind mm-hmm. your novel. You look at the structure of kind of creating suspense in, in, in crime in novels. Then you look at how suspense can be created through structure and plot, and then perhaps how viewpoint and character create suspense. And you have this great section, quite detailed section, where you look at tools and tricks for ensuring that kind of suspense is built into the work that you're doing. And then you come on to the idea of pace and style. There are these six big units within the course that then each single unit is uh, kind of made up of kind of video introductions followed by kind of discussion documents, examples, PDFs and things to read, and then some exercises and a final challenge for the people uh, taking it. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit like what you'd like, how you hope people will come away from kind of doing this course? What do you think they'll come away with? Well, I kind of I would love to encourage people to start looking at the things they read and watch critically, and just try to think: well, what is making me, what is gripping me here? Are there things that I am still waiting to find out? Is that why I'm still reading this book or, or watching this? And I, I noticed it myself. Like I started reading something last night, and I was sort of reading it, thinking, you know, what this isn't that not that well written, I don't think. But I'm still reading it because it's posed enough mystery for me to want to find out what happened. So. Um, it's just things like that and just being sort of more critically aware of actually what does cause us 
keep turning the pages. Mm. And what, you know, the, the, you know, those issues, those things that I've just talked about, the concept, whether it's a high concept or whether it's a particular uh, kind of hot topic and then the structure and then the, the plot. Yeah, so concept is um, whether it just has like built in. So it gets often a question of stakes. So a lot of people, when they're writing their first books, me included, uh, it might be just a bit quiet. So there's not enough going on. There's not enough at stake. Um, so if you can think of a way to like beef up your actual concept, give your characters more of a problem dilemma goal, um, or maybe make it a more interesting setting or just sort of bake in a bit more conflict to it, that would really help. Um, and then I think most of the work of suspense is done in structure. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's things like um, who, whose point of view are we getting in a book uh, and really timeline as well. So cutting between different timelines or whatever structure you decide to use for that. Are there any particular sort of fashions or trends that you sort of see in the in the kind of thriller suspense crime world at the minute in terms of um, that sort of a concept? I think there's quite a lot of thrillers around that are told from the point of view of different women who might be friends or relatives or you might get sort of two or three different viewpoints that cut between each other. Um, sometimes you get viewpoints where it's actually the same person at different parts points in their life and maybe we either know that or we don't know that but it's a twist or it could be the the viewpoint is a different person than we were led to believe it was so this is often like psych thrillers because they are quite slow burn a lot of the time you Mm. just have to do you have to play with structure to keep people interested but if you're writing a more like action-based high stakes thriller you don't necessarily need to do that so you can get suspense from just worrying what's going to happen next if there's a lot at stake so like a, a plane crash or a bomb going off or something like that it will be enough um so it really just kind of depends on your your idea as well yeah i was i was really uh, struck because I, I read when i was looking through your course and i saw you referenced shirley jackson's short story the lottery which mm-hmm. kind of made me go back and read that again i hadn't read it for a long time yeah that and, was interesting um, because it doesn't it's just a short story and it's not really even a sort of fixed viewpoint so it doesn't do any of those things i was talking about so it's um but it does do wonderful things with suspense though doesn't it yeah i think it's just doing it all through um atmosphere and kind of a building mm. sense of dread so. and I, I, I kind of compared her because i'm a huge mcherron fan as well oh, and yeah. I know you cover a couple of mcherron or you reference a couple of mcherron's um mm-hmm. kind of novels uh, joe country i think Hansler horses in there and think about how radically different kind of McCarran and Shirley Jackson are as writers, but how some of the same effects can be created by such different yeah, writers. Yeah, so Mick, for example, won't, won't often do those kind of structural tricks that I'm talking about, but it, it's um, and he, also a good example of how to write uh, a sort of rotating viewpoints from who yeah. don't, don't necessarily stay with one character. We can jump around even within the scene. Uh, we can go to anyone, and including sort of animals, inanimate objects, um, but it still works. Um, and that's because we're really invested in the characters. Um, so we want to know. And the stakes are also very high because they're books about espionage. So, yeah, it's great. But he does, he does occasionally use some of these tricks that, like, you might not know. Um, you might get, like, a flash-forward prologue occasionally or mm. um, it's told from a point of view where you don't actually know who it is that we're watching. Yeah, I think the the... 
I suppose it's the thriller type uh, action focus of, of Mick Heron's work versus in that particular example, the Shirley Jackson one. It's, it literally is just that being plunged into that world that you don't understand, but you understand yeah. something really bad so is that's happening. Where setting is creating suspense there too, yeah, because we don't know how this world works and we know, it's actually quite similar to the Hunger Games, I would say, the, the feeling of the opening of that where it's like, we know we're in a world where things aren't quite right. We don't know what that is. Reading, trying yes. to find out the details. That, there's some sort of unease or disease that you can't quite put your finger on, but the writer mm-hmm. subtly evokes in really brilliant ways. For me, it's a really good challenge with writing these kind of standalone thrillers is to each time unpick how the book is going to be structured. Um, and I don't always know. It sometimes takes me a little while to, to figure that out. and Because the stories are usually not necessarily super high stakes. You know, it would be something perhaps something sinister might be going on but we don't know um so you really need to use your structure well to keep people interested and kind of show them that something interesting is happening just stick with it can you talk us a little bit about the the difference between writing kind of series of novels you know the the part i'm thinking of the paula mcguire um series versus your standalones and Mm -hmm. kind of the the pros and cons of each approach or what it's not necessarily the pros and cons that's a not the right thing to say perhaps what it feels like or what, how it feels differently for you as a writer between writing a novel that's uh, part of a series and then something which is entirely standalone. So I never really set out to write a series. I just, when I was writing The Last, and that was something I wrote off contract as well, I just realised these characters in this world, to me, there's a lot to say about it. And there's a lot of characters. Um, so often you might have in a thriller, you'd have like maybe your main character is quite well developed and but not necessarily everyone else gets that space. Um, I just kind of felt in this world because there were so many she was so kind of embedded with her um her friends her family her history there her colleagues I just sort of felt there was more to say but I, I didn't know necessarily how many books that was going to be um and then I yeah with standalone it's much more thinking about how each book is going to function um as a kind of a puzzle almost for me to solve like how's it going to be structured how's it going to work I find with with series um if they don't really take off immediately it's it's sort of quite hard to then establish get a get good sales so um it seems like a good idea it seems like it would be a good idea to write the series because people if they like the next one might read the second but i don't know if that necessarily follows so at least if you're doing standalone you have more of a chance to sort of make an impact with each book it becomes more concept driven than character yeah i think about it, sort of ian rankin's rebus series didn't really take off Mm-hmm. quite a few novels but again that's what that was a literally a different era in publishing wasn't it yeah so I, I believe it was like his 11th or 12th book in the yeah. series and I don't know if you would be allowed that space nowadays <laughs> to do that so but actually Mick Heron um, I didn't even realize this I read it I know Mick a little bit um apparently his first his the series was actually dropped I think initially um right. and then someone else picked it up and it just became the kind of wonderful success it is today so it's um yeah, it was a, certainly not an easy road for that either. Um, and you just never, sometimes you just need to have that faith to invest, see a, a series grow. Yeah, it's uh, it perhaps it goes back to that changing um, publishers and changing agents need as well. Sometimes you've just got to have someone else look at your work somehow and believe in it in a different way. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to have that really. Like you shouldn't have to move constantly. There should be, people sometimes say to me, you know, what will you do some Rapula? And I always kind of say, I have no immediate plans. I kind of put it to bed and I wrap the series up, but it is in development for TV. So if that takes off, then who knows? 
yeah, yeah that might be nice might to revisit cause you to think again about it in a whole mm. different new way i suppose the other thing as well is um you have to think about why why would your character in a long series be through all of these different traumas you know is it is it realistic that your <laughs> death experiences in every single book yeah the, the, the kind of the midsummer conundrum of how can one tiny village be the host yeah. of so many thousands of murders over the years yeah exactly yeah so what is it? I mean, it's a really basic question, but I've been thinking about it for the last sort of weekend or so, a few days. What is it about that that suspense, that not knowing feeling that has people seeking it out in their millions through books and films and TV every every week? I think it's just our, our desperate need to have questions answered, but then the irony that as soon as the question is answered, we lose interest. So. <laughs> Uh, I just said, as I've just been watching a TV series, which is in its second series season, and the first season was amazing. I loved it. And second season is still good, but they've answered a lot of the questions and they haven't really posed enough new ones. So um, it's interesting to see how difficult that is if you're using structure and dual timelines to create suspense. Then once you've kind of answered those, then it is just less interesting. So you have to kind of constantly be bringing in new mysteries but not to the extent where it's like lost where people just kind of got the sense that they were never going to get answers yeah. really really tricky balancing act i think and so when kind of you mentioned you were just recently aware with some other crime writers or i think you had said crime writers certainly other mm-hmm. writers um what what's the holy grail for crime writers who do they all talk about and think oh my god they're, they're you know we wish we could do a plot like that or you know who are the writers that are loved um, but not necessarily massive sellers Ooh, um, well, I think I think people really all admire McCarran because he worked at it for so long and the books are so clever and beautifully written, but also do so well. Uh, people talk about Lisa Jewell a lot. Uh, a lot of respect for Lisa. She's very nice also. Um, and making that transition from women's fiction to crime so kind of seamlessly. Um, yeah, she's a very, very popular author. Um, yeah. I think we do all read each other's books quite a bit just to sort of see... Yeah. who's doing what and keep on top of it. I personally you- have a real fondness for like anything that's a really beautifully written thriller. So there's a writer, Sabine Durant, who um, mm. I love her books. Did I say that right, Durant? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so I've always thought it's- it anyway. <laughs> You're mixing her up with Sarah Dunant, who's also a very good writer. Um, but yeah, I love her, I love her books because they're um, always so beautifully written and twisty and gripping. So that's that's the kind of thing I like. Fantastic. And kind of turning back to how to create suspense and fiction, which is the kind of uh, study at your own pace course that will be coming out from National Centre for Writing in the next couple of months. Um, what do you think people will, what do you hope people will take away from it? Um, so it's going to tell you how to, like I say, at every level, how to put suspense into your work. So uh, if you already have an idea, it will hopefully prompt you to think a little bit about your concept and whether that can be strengthened without changing it too much. Uh, if not, uh, if you're set on your concept, it's going to give you ideas for how to structure the book so that even if you do have a quiet idea, you can still make it really suspenseful based on how you tell the story and in what order and who tells it. So all kinds of breaking down all the mechanics of how books work, uh, viewpoint, voice, timelines, chronology, uh, also looks at character and how you create suspense through character because if we really care about your characters, we're going to care no matter what happens to them. So mm-hmm. you can almost have your stakes be a bit less as long as we're really invested in them. Um, then it also looks at 
the words on the page. So style, uh, how you actually can put suspense in literally through your choice of words and the blank space on the page, the chapter lengths, the sentence lengths, all these kind of mechanics that you might never have thought about. Because in my experience of writing, um, I never came to it and I still don't with any kind of organized thoughts it's always just a, a feeling and I just kind of write from there and I'm, I'm always just trying to slightly find my way through it so I hope that this will just give people some ideas and some tools that if you know your book's not working suspense wise if it's not gripping enough that how you can maybe put some of that in and also as you mentioned um some different devices that you might want to try like little kind of tricks and ways to just retell things and reframe things that are hopefully not too much work but might make all the difference so just as one example of that um if you have a sort of quiet, slow burn psych thriller, um, you may, a lot of authors will do things like put little inserts, chapters in between them. And even chapters might even be overselling it. It could just be one page. It could be a couple of paragraphs. Um, but just that's enough to like pique our interest. And it could be a different viewpoint. It could be a sort of sinister viewpoint of someone who we don't know who it is. It could be a flash forward to what's going to happen. It could be a flashback to something in the past. Um, so just even something like that can be enough to really put suspense into your book without changing it too much. Well, I think it's what I really love about it is that, as you said earlier, it kind of gives you that, those helps you ask some of those really big questions like, so what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What does this feel like? What does it, how is it working? But it also gives you the tools to do that really deep dive and to look under the bonnet of it and to actually mm -hmm. practically help test what it is that you're doing as well. And it gives you some great real life sort of sort of insights and advice around everything from pitching to blurb writing and kind of coming up with kind of how you describe your work both to yourself so you can effectively describe it to others. So I think it's got that real fantastic mix of toolkit and thought-provoking sort of exercises about it. Thank you. Yeah, so I hope it will get people thinking as well about what the next step might be once they've, um, just a little bit, once the book is done, but we can get getting ready to talk about it and pitch it to other people. I think it certainly will. I'm really looking forward to uh, publishing it in, in the next couple of months. Can you tell us a little bit before we wrap up what, you know, what's, what's coming next for you? What's your writing, what's your writing life happen going to be next? Um, so I have two books coming out in June, quite close to each other. Mm. <laughs> and uh, one is a literary novel and one is um, another thriller. Um, and so the literary novel I was working on for years and just did not have a clue how to do it. Eventually ended up using these exact same techniques. So I've got flash forwards. I've got a strand. I've got multiple viewpoints. I've got a strand in the, um, strand in the present and strands in the past moving over 20 years so uh, finding the structure for that book was absolutely key and not making it really boring um, and then the thriller I've played around with structure What's as well the title of the of the literary novel uh, it's called this could be us mm -hmm. and my thriller is called let me in and it's about a young couple who um, move to a fixer-upper house in Cornwall and sinister things start happening they start finding weird things in the walls they discover the previous owner was um rumored to be a witch and is also in prison for a triple murder um but because of the structure which i've done something i've never done before which is tell it in four large chunks moving between different characters and each section ends with a big twist where you discover that actually both of them have links to this house that they haven't told the other one about um, so that was really fun to research and to write yeah and really how, how is it uh, I suppose the, the, you've already said that the uh, this could be us has taken you kind of eleven years to write. Mm -hmm. So that was was that sort of the publication schedule of that just by accident that it's coming out at the same time as a thriller, or will it come under uh, a different yeah. name? 
No, it's actually going to be the same name. It's different publisher. So yeah, it is just kind of coincidental. Um, The reason it took so long is I started writing it. I wrote a big chunk of it. And then I just realized I don't know what I'm doing here. I cannot do this justice. So I consciously put it aside Mm -hmm. for a long time. And then I finally got it out in lockdown. We had all this time and I managed to finish it. I had had about 60,000 words. So I'd actually done quite a chunk of it. But I think it's almost harder to rewrite something in that way for me anyway it's cleaner to do it from scratch i think yeah i I, it's it's, it seems like a very different exercise doesn't it yeah because there were bits that i'd written and i liked them but they just didn't should have probably cut it even more than i have but it's really hard so i've done my best well it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how it feels like to have kind of those two books out at the same time and see what the difference kind of the reception and you know, will the publicity do be very different for both do you think or the demands on you I think so so the first one is very much based on my own family my own experience um and the second one has just kind of come out of my interest in people's housing nightmares and various people I know that have bought houses that turned out to be disaster renovations and <laughs> um it's kind of my interest in like moving out of the city and dabbling in um the occult a little bit there's sort of some stuff in there about the tarot and witchcraft and things very interested in fantastic well really look forward to seeing both of those and they're both out in june and yeah um but best very best of luck with it thank you so much for joining us today uh thank you for agreeing to create this course for national center for writing we'll be kind of in touch with our podcast uh listeners and those on our newsletter to let them know when it's been released but just thanks so much for joining us today claire and uh, thank you a really successful and productive year thanks a big thank you to claire for her time and for her fantastic course which is now on sale from the ncw website the great thing about claire's course is that it's online and self-paced so you can sign up now and study in your own time from anywhere in the world Don't forget, we have a huge range of courses, workshops and free writing resources on the NCW website. Head over to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to find out more. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. We're on Facebook and you can sign up to our newsletter over on the NCW website. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation today over on the website by going to the Support Us page. Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review and a rating because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing and I'll catch you on the next episode.